Hey, we've got a sponsor. Uh, this episode of RIYL is brought to you by HostGator, the best place to get a website. They offer premium web hosting at low costs and 24 by 7 by 365 phone, chat, and email support. And if you enter the uh, code RIYL, you can get an extra 20% off. 25% off. Oh my god. That's 5% more than I originally said. And maybe we, maybe we could keep making the show. It's a win-win. I mean, how long have you been in New York City for? Uh, it's been 11 years now. Okay. So that's it's actually rough, about about the same amount of time that I've been here. And that was like, you know, 10 years ago was after a lot of the, I think a lot of the magic had gone. Like, it was already a lot of, like, Starbucks and everything else. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking about the sort of stuff that I'm getting nostalgic for. And you and I was reading about the Virgin Megastore, and I, I was a little nostalgic for it. I'm so glad you say that because um, I would assume no one outside of New York would know that, yeah. you know. But for my friends, at least, everyone always talk about that. About being about that specifically, or just about being nostalgic for like kind of weird things to be nostalgic for. Well, you know, you live in New York for a long time, and uh... too long a time. <laughs> too long? How long? <laughs> like damn near three quarters of my freaking life. Yeah. And even when I wasn't living here, I was here. But it all revolves around here. How can you live in this city this big and not be recognized or discovered or something? Well, you're very, you're a recognizable person. I'm 30 feet tall. <laughs> you still don't see me? That hurts. That hurts. We see you. You know, sometimes you just got to be a 30 feet tall. Sometimes you just got to step on a few people. Maybe they'll recognize you then. a good New York moment. That's why you do this. That's why you do this. In part. It was another thing I was thinking about as, as I was waiting the four minutes. I was to get kind here. of excited. I was like, "Good call." Like Union yeah. Square is going to be weird. It's. I, I don't. I don't want to say he's 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 homeless, but he's definitely he's not. If he is well off, he, he hides it well. I mean, he could be an eccentric millionaire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, why don't, why don't you describe the gentleman who just spoke to us? Um, he was wearing uh, looked like an Elizabethan collar. Uh-huh. Uh, some kind of weird hat like 70s hat um definitely and maybe tutu. skirts yeah yeah and uh john like a, lennon glasses maybe yeah he looks like a like a member of parliament funkadelic yeah he might actually be a member of parliament funkadelic <laughs> yeah but he said he hasn't been rec- i mean he hasn't been recognized here yet for what he does i'm not sure what he does i i think i, I think it's just new york i think it's like somebody like that dresses like that expecting that people are going to recognize him but then or or you know like stare at him but it's new york next time i see him i'll be like it's that guy I've cool. seen that guy before. Oh, yeah. okay. I've seen that guy all over the place. Yeah, right. that guy gets around. Um, <laughs> another thing I was thinking about is how um, how sort of enterprising the homeless community is around Union Square. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've lived in Chicago and San Francisco and New York, and I felt like uh, actually the homeless population here seems to be a little more uh, cognizant or with it. Is oh, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, especially just about like San Francisco, like yeah, it's San a lot Francisco's. of like like acid heads that kind of stayed, and a lot of meth, you know, on the yeah. West Coast. So it's kind of like sometimes I'm like I'd be a little scared, you know. But here, it's like people are eccentric and kind of everyone's used to each other in New York, yeah. so people 
you know, tend to be pretty cool. Well, it's and 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 they're enterprise in the sense that like you know even if they don't have a skill per se, I mean, and a lot of them do, but even if they don't have a skill per se, they like they figure something out. I was I was waiting by the George Washington statue and I saw the the six foot seven tall Jew who raps for you. Oh, I don't know I that one guy. He's probably around still. He's a tall Jewish guy who will rap for money. Okay. And then there was another guy, and this is the first time I'd seen this guy, but there was a guy walking around with little um, pieces of cardboard. He didn't stand in front of me, but he was doing the kind of the Bob Dylan, you know, bring it all back home, like <laughs> getting people to read his index card thing. Wow. Yeah, I'm more familiar with the, the buskers. Yeah. Just because you'll be waiting for a long time in the subway, and then it's like, I know this song. <laughs> They're, I mean, they're unavoidable, right? Yeah. So let's let's talk about nostalgia for things you shouldn't be nostalgic for. Well, that's like life, isn't it? I mean, how do you mean? I don't know. I mean, I I get nostalgic for times when I was like really depressed in my life. Yeah. Just I thinking back, that. I'm like, oh, that was you know, it wasn't so bad, and it's like that was kind of cozy. I didn't really have any real problems. It was just like a mental state, you know. No, it's 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 something I've been thinking about because like. You know, I've got a, a decently paid, steady job at this point, and like, yeah, I, I do get romantic for the times when I didn't have any money. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I try to keep that in mind, whatever I'm feeling in the moment. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, New York. I mean, I've lived. Uh, I lived in the East Village. I lived all over Brooklyn. Um, so yeah, I just have different memories. You know, with every place I've lived, a lot of the comic and the last comic I did was uh, the East Village. Mm-hmm. And there's so many bars. I used to go to tons of bars around there, and, like, most of them are closed. And, yeah. like, it's just the way it is here. I mean, things just turn over. If you can't make the money, pay the rent. What can you do, you know? In, in a sense, though, nostalgia is good for what you do, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I still try to, like, research um, stuff online, um, like, get pictures of bars that have closed that I used to go to and draw from them. And it, it feels really nice to... I feel like I'm back in the place when I'm drawing it. Yeah. Yeah, which makes me happy when I'm drawing. So, so I, it's, I guess, semi-autobiographical is how people would describe it. Sure, yeah. Um, but the settings are all real? Yeah. And the, jo- the jobs are real, mostly? Um, well, actually, not all the settings are real. There's uh, portions of the book where she's in the country, which I totally made up because I've never lived in the country. Um, and then, yeah, the jobs for them, yeah, they've been real so far. Because the, uh, the the new one, or the most recent book, she's she's selling dresses. Yeah, that was a shop on 9th Street in between A and B. Um, that a friend of mine, you know, knew the owner. I needed a job, so I started working there. But the guy just ended up making high quality, or actually there were... Uh, there were not great quality clothes, uh, and there were knockoffs of designers, and so it was really hard to sell the clothes. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but it was my first job after I'd had this job bejeweling cell phones, which is basically like sweatshop labor. So I thought, oh, man, I'm sitting at a desk for seven hours and just like talking to people, and this seems great. So I ended up staying at the job for like two years, which was way too long. Uh, yeah, so I wrote about that. <laughs> It seemed like there was a lot of downtime, too, at least Uh, in the comic. Yeah, it was kind of brutal, just, like, stuck in this little room with a bunch of shitty clothes. (laughs) Are you... And this is is something I've talked to, like, specifically cartoonists about a lot. Um, I know a lot of cartoonists do, you know, work at at doctor's offices, you know, or, like, receptionists and things. Like, like specifically take jobs where 
they have time to think and to and to draw on the job. Yeah, that was kind of the point in me taking that too. Is that there was a desk there, so I figured that I could draw when I worked, and I did a little bit, but. It, it's so hard if people are walking in and out of the store and you have to talk to them to really focus on work. So it didn't really work very well. I, didn't, I wasn't very prolific. <laughs> You're not like an absent-minded doodler, though? No, not at all. Oh, really? Everything's, yeah. everything's very calculated? Yeah. Like you have to force yourself to draw? Um, well, I've kind of set up how I draw like a job. So as soon as I wake up, I just start and I try to do like five hours of work. Uh, and I've been just working on this comic forever. And I stopped keeping sketchbooks. I just really treated it like a job. Um, but lately I started sketching again, which has been fun. But, yeah, I yeah, I never really... You just won't do it if you don't have a very a set schedule? I just wanted to put all my energy into, like, the comics and not into just drawing whatever, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not 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 to not to to get to to reference Twitter too much, but I think you had a you had a nice tweet the other day about what was it about <laughs> about just doing the drawing thing until you can go full time as a, as a bartender. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually didn't come up with that. A friend of mine did because I was talking about bartending that night. He's like, you know, you're just trying comics, so you can bartend full time. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you like bartending? Um, I like the money. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I've had a bunch of different jobs doing it. And some places I've liked more than others. Are, are you are you are you a good bartender? I think I am. I think um, I've been trained to do fancy mixology. Oh, okay. And then this place is a beer bar, so the only thing that I'm bad at with it because I'm only there a couple days a week is we have like 28 beers on tap, mm-hmm. and we only buy one keg of each beer. So by the time I get there the next time I work. I don't know any of the beers, and we have a lot of like beer nerds coming in, being like, "What is number seventeen all about?" I'm just like, I have no idea. <laughs> so it's like you're you're supposed to have tried every single beer and, and know what it tastes like and be able to like recommend it to people, or just kind of know how to describe it. Uh, I mean, as much knowledge as you can have about a beer, I would assume be helpful to yeah. people who want to buy it or not buy you just it. just tell me you don't know or do you, do you make something up? Well, because it's all beer on tap so I can just pour them a taste. Oh, okay. so that's what I do. I'll be like, I'll give you yeah. as many tastes as you want and then figure out which one you like the best because it is all about the taste, you know. This is it. Uh, oh, this is the guy I was talking, <laughs> telling you about before. Oh. It was a trick. I feel tricked. Oh, no. I'll give him, him some money for his Lady Gaga <laughs> joke. Okay. I'll give all... Let me grab, grab a dollar and you explain what this gentleman just did. Um, so he has cardboard. Happy birthday. You get there. You can do it, yeah. So he's got a good, he's got a good, uh, he's got a good gag. Yeah, it's interesting that he doesn't just say the joke and he writes it down. Well, I, I mean, if, if a... Not you specifically, but most people, if a kind of semi-unkempt person walked up to them and just started talking. Yeah. I mean, they're more likely to look at the look at the pieces of cardboard. So this is the guy, this is the Bob Dylan guy I was talking about. He had a Lady Gaga joke on okay. two, two pieces of cardboard. It always is weird, though, when people come up and they're asking for money, but they're smoking. It's so expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess it's easy to find discarded cigarettes. <laughs> Walk I around Union Square. And I, yeah. I mean, that's the funny thing about cigarettes is they're really expensive, but people only smoke half of them for the most part, right? Uh, I smoke the whole things because they're really expensive. <laughs> so 
So, so, so you're a so you said you're a mixologist. Oh, I wouldn't describe myself yeah. as a mixologist, but, you're but I, of- I I worked at a place where I got trained to do, you know, what would be considered mixology, uh, which was fun. I liked it. It's like cooking, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't get to really use that in the current place, though. No, not really, because it's it's mostly a beer bar. So when people order cocktails, actually, like our ingredients, like our vermouth and stuff, is not very good. So I feel bad for them. They'll be like, "I'll have a Manhattan." I'm like, oh, "Okay, yeah. Yeah. you want one?" <laughs> a bit, you know, it, it seems like, especially if I had like gone gone through the effort of, of getting trained, that I would almost want people to come in and order complicated things to show off my my skill set. If it was slow, then I would, but. There's like this kind of high volume, so it's better if I can just pour the beer and not take five minutes to make a drink when there's like eight people waiting, you yeah. know. Um, and weirdly, because with the fancier mixology bars that are very popular right now, the bartenders don't make very much because you have to have like two bartenders on at all times. You have to have a bar back. You have some guy coming in to like chop all the fruit for you. That may or may not be the bar back, and um, so you're tipping people out, and you're splitting the money, and then whether or not people are ordering on a $14 cocktail or a $6 beer, they're still tipping $1. So I make a lot more money just pouring beer than I would, you know, making fancier cocktails. I was thinking about it recently, about how, you know, at least as long as I've been drinking, the, the $1 tip has kind of been standard. Yeah. And, like... It's got inflation's got to bring that up at some point, right? Do we all just decide at the same time that we're going to start tipping two dollars? How does that, how does that work? I feel with tipping, um, it really evens itself out because you have some people come in who are very generous and that will see you working hard and tip yeah. you more, um, and then you have the people who won't even tip, you know, ten percent, you know, if they have a large bill. Um, but they kind of even even out at the end of the night, so. So how do, you, how do you make the transition from selling dresses to, to bartending? Um, I had a lot of different jobs in between. Yeah. Uh, after the dress shop, I worked at a DVD distribution company hmm. that did a lot of uh, music DVDs like uh, like Wilco and stuff like that. And I was basically just doing mailroom activities. And I think they just hired me because they felt bad for me because I didn't have a job. <laughs> like you knew the people there? Yeah, I knew one of the women who worked there, and there was only yeah. five people that worked there, and I needed a job really bad, and they're like, hire Leslie, she's great. All right. And then I actually got laid off from that because the company stopped making a bunch of money, and the same day that I got laid off, I was actually uh, in an airport in Chicago waiting to come back to New York, and five minutes after I talked to my old boss on the phone, a friend of mine who owns a bar in uh, Williamsburg called me. He's like, we're opening a new bar. You want to bartend? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> But it was just beer and wine. With no experience? Yeah, he knew I could do it because it was just beer and wine. And I had worked in restaurants as like a waitress before and stuff like that and hostess. And uh, I had been a barista. So I started working there. So I worked there for a couple of years. And and then I knew I couldn't get another bartending job based on that because I didn't have the mixology skills. So I took a, a job as a waitress in a fancier cocktail bar doing cocktail waiting. And then eventually moved up to, like, managing that place so that they would make me a bartender so I'd get those skills. And then I hated managing, so I quit that job. And then by that time, I met some other people in the neighborhood that, when they opened a new bar, hired me. It's just basically once you're in that scene, you know, that people know you and, like, oh, you've bartended, like, and you're trustworthy, like, it's hard to find 
trustworthy people. Is there a know? reason why you haven't stuck it in any one place for for too 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 long? Yeah, because <laughs> I get I get kind of antsy after a couple yeah. of years. I can't do more than two years at one job for some reason. Yeah, I, was, I, was, is, I mean, is that why you're going? Is that why you're doing kind of you know more like retail or more more um, food service or customer service because you you just kind of get stuck at a desk job when you do a desk job? Yeah, I can't imagine working in an office. Because um, you've got also, a very office-like schedule. Yeah, but that's for the comics, and yeah. that's the reason why I pick up the odd jobs is so I can spend most of my time doing the comics. So, like, the whole goal was to work as little as possible, to make as much money as possible so that I could have more time to draw comics. Um, and if I'm working a desk job, if I'm working the 9 to 5, like, I don't think I'd be able to go home and, like, yeah. focus, you know. But, yeah, so right now I work a couple days a week, and the money's good enough, so I can spend the rest of the time drawing. So, so what keeps? I mean, so what keeps you in New York then? <laughs> if, if you, you know, if you want to be an artist, and it's just making it, you know, if you're just making enough money to keep yourself going, obviously you'd have to work. I mean, you have, you'd have to work a lot less any pretty much any other place. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's true because no. um, you can make more money in New York too. I think, like, there's more more bars and there's more people frequent there's just more people frequenting them um that said you know i always think about moving i you know i've been here 11 years i have a band here that i've been in for seven years so i've just kind of gotten you this is became my home yeah so yeah but yeah i think about moving other places (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean so you said you were in in chicago before yeah i grew up in chicago okay Yeah. yeah what brought you out here um, I went uh, first. I uh, went to San Francisco for art school, and then I transferred. And I actually went to SVA here for the last two years. And I didn't think I'd stay because I didn't really like New York that much. But then, for some reason, I just did. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it works, right? That's how. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you so you went to SVA with the knowledge that you wanted to be a cartoonist. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, in San Francisco, I was in a conceptual art school, but I was still drawing comics, and I'd try to bring them into critiques and people just hated it so much they were like why are you here you know they, they hated that you were doing comics or they hated your comics specifically uh they hated that i was doing them. okay interesting. Yeah. so this was only what like 10 10 years ago 11 years ago that it's not yeah it was not that much has changed right it was I mean, 2000 when i started school yeah, yeah. It's just, it's surprising me to, to hear that, like, even in, like, 2000, that people were shunning comics at art school. Well, at a, a at an art school where, you know, the main hero is Duchamp, ah. yeah, of course, okay. they're not going to like comics, you know? Uh, so it's really funny because I feel grateful that I went through that experience and then went to SVA, which is almost like a trade school. Yeah. Uh, so I had really, like different experiences in art school and then it was funny because as soon as I got to SVA and I was putting my comics up all the other comic artists would be like whoa it's like fine art comics <laughs> I was like really weird that's so a, weird that's interesting I mean, do, do you see that in your work? no well most of the kids uh, were into superhero comics oh okay so. so just being kind of indie comics that's what yeah is, is that influence there at all though I mean I, I, having a somewhat formal training for some point in your life did that inform the comics uh, I don't know I mean I really 
quickly just kind of decided to use being in school at SVA as time to do the comics because I don't think you can really teach comics I think you just have to make them and make all the mistakes that you're going to make yeah. Um, so I did learn a few things, but for the most part, I just try to do whatever I wanted to do and then, you know, leave. <laughs> so. How did, how did you end up at a, at a fine art college, though? Because um, I wanted to go to San Francisco. Okay. Yeah, that was the goal. And I started, uh, I used to do a lot of different work in high school. And my professor, or professor, my teacher in high school would see me kind of doing slightly comic-y things and she's like well you could go to this school in san francisco and kind of develop your own major and i was in a a program called the interdisciplinary program which was basically anything you can make of it so i learned like silk screening and painting and printmaking um and i loved to do etching there for some reason uh and i would just do basically like comic panels but etched you know um so that's how that happened so, if, so high school on, pretty clear that you, comics are what you want to do? Yeah, since I was really little. I started yeah. drawing them when I was, like, four. <laughs> where, where, does, uh, where does music enter the picture? Um, so, I started playing guitar when I was 12. And there's actually a story about that in the new book that I just put out. Um, and my mom met this guy in volleyball. She went, took volleyball at the Y, and he wanted to start a band that toured around giving depression screenings to teenagers. And this was in 94. <laughs> so he wanted to play all like Nirvana songs. So he developed this band and then he wanted like a young kid to be in the band so that people, you know, kids that he was trying to, you know, reach out to would feel more comfortable with it. So he got me in the band because I was like this little grunge kid and I had like really long hair like down to my navel and like ripped jeans and the converse and didn't wash my hair i could barely play guitar i could play bar chords and like three other chords that's enough right yeah for yeah for the yeah yeah. (laughs) i wasn't playing the lead there was another lead guitar player and and you can get away with it yeah um so i started playing with them and then uh we were on like the classic rock radio station chicago and i really didn't like doing it because I realized how bad we were and I was embarrassed by it. But when you're that age and you're kind of shy, it's really hard to tell people like, I don't like your idea. So I kept doing it until I was about 14 and then I stopped and I stopped playing guitar for a few years. And then when I moved to San Francisco, I started again because I didn't know anyone in San Francisco. So I just had time to myself. So I was just like, all right, I'll play guitar. It's kind of cathartic. Um, And then I had a little band out there, like a Casio keyboard band. And then I moved to New York. And um, after I started going to school at SBA, I kind of realized that I wasn't going to make many friends at school. So I got a job at uh, Kim's uh, on St. Mark's. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that's, another, that's another bygone. Yeah. There's a small one right around the corner now, but it's, I know. it's not the same. Yeah, Mondo Kim's. And I yeah. worked on the second floor doing vinyl sales. And uh, Oh, you were in the video section? Uh, well, the video section, rentals, was third floor. The second yeah. floor was vinyl and okay. DVD sales, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the first floor was all of the CDs. I remember, I mean, this was like, because this was probably about 10 years ago, so this was... I was there. If you yeah. used to go in, you probably saw me yeah, at some point. Yeah, but this was like, I mean, that, this is a, I, I totally get nostalgic for Kim's, because that was before, like, 
before YouTube, man. That's how long ago that was. So that I was know. like the things that you could get there. Yeah, the they weird had so import many import videos yeah. you could get, there. and like crazy bootlegs. Yeah. Like I had all these like German TV bootlegs of like the Trogs and the Move and like yeah. Kraftwerk, and yeah. like you can't find those anywhere anymore. Yeah, I think they. But um, there's a place under Washington Square. They've got a, they've got a, an okay-ish bootleg selection downstairs. Generations. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah they've got a yeah but, yeah. But again, like you can probably find all that stuff on BitTorrent now. Exactly. Yeah, it's not necessary, and that's why I went out of business. Yeah, you know. They got raided a few times for mixtapes too. That's my understanding. And the, and I think Matthew Barney went after them for yeah. doing the Cream Master Cycle yeah, DVDs. Yeah. yeah, that must have been a good job though. It was a fun first job to have in yeah. the city, especially because you know I got paid six dollars an hour to like shrink wrap a bunch of porn, and uh, <laughs> and then I'd go to like Lit Lounge and like people come to me like you work at Kim's like yeah. how'd you get a job there and I'm like you really want a job there you know. Because um, I guess like one of the guys from The Strokes like worked there for three I weeks. Or I would have killed for a job at Kim's at that at that point. Yeah, I was uh, was probably working at that. There was a barn. There's a, that other Barnes and Noble right on the, around the corner. I think I was probably working at at that point. Oh I would really? Killed to work at Kim's. Yeah. Yeah. No, people really wanted to work there, um, and it was cool because I met so many great musicians, and that's all. Pretty much most of my band worked there, so that's how that band started, yeah. and then I've just been in it ever since. I just wanted to interrupt for a second to remind you that this episode of RIYL is brought to you by HostGator, the best place to get a website. Uh, They offer premium web hosting service at low cost, uh, 24 by 7 by 365 phone, chat, and email support. Uh, they've got uh, VPS and dedicated servers, and uh, if you uh, if you are are currently unhappy with your uh, the service that you're using right now, HostGator will move it for you. They do all the hard work. Uh, head on over to HostGator.com and buy some hosting. They've got some .nets there as well, and uh, if you use the coupon code RIYL, you get an extra twenty five percent off. And um, and then they can they can keep giving they can give us some more money so that I can buy more microphones. Because I only have two now, and as you know, it, it, it probably, I don't know, it takes upwards of eight microphones to record a single episode of this podcast. Why well, I, I, you know, I, I pretty much know you exclusively through comics. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the music thing, I and mean, how is that, how is that going? It's good. We're. Um well, speaking of nostalgia, like yeah. I was so glad to be around then because we got to play Tonic. And I was yeah. like, ah, oh, cool. You know, now that's no longer there. Yeah, I was trying to explain Shanae's to somebody recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we play pretty often now. We're playing next week at Union Pool, and then we have another show the next month at um, Bell House and stuff like that. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. You're, you're, you guys are opening? Or We're opening, you're yeah. Opening for, for who? Uh, it's a sub-pop band called Obits. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. guy from Hot Snakes. Yeah. Um, which I actually, I met him because he came into my bar I work at now after practice with his band. And I looked at them and I'm like, I know, I know this guy. I was like, I'm going to put on the Groundhogs. Put on the Groundhogs. like, who the fuck are you? I'm like, all right, you should hear my band. So now, weird British blues band <laughs> yeah, to try yeah. to pique his interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we became friends right away after That's that. That's funny. And yeah. then that, that actually led to you guys getting a gig at the Bell House? Yeah. How, how... How serious are you taking the music thing? I mean, obviously, comics seem to be number one for you. Definitely, yeah. Uh, I don't take the band very seriously. <laughs> Does everybody else in the band know that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but in a sense, they don't really take it that seriously either. I mean, we had our first record come out last year after seven years. Okay. So, so it must be really good then, right? 
<laughs> I'm proud of the record, yeah. actually, because... Yeah, because we had recorded about 30 songs, so we picked the eight best oh, wow, songs yeah. to put on the record. Um, so, yeah, I like it. I'll give you a copy. Yeah. yeah, yeah if if you recorded 30 songs, and, you know... Away. Why, why did it take seven years to put an album out? I don't know. No one... Because this is 30 songs over a long period of time? Or? Yeah, no one approached us, really, yeah. until this one label that was just a startup did last year. And I remember, like, our, we had our first meeting with them, and they were kind of giving this this spiel about their label, because we didn't really know them yet. Now I'm close with them, and I love them, but... They were like, why go with us over bigger labels? And we were like, <laughs> the bigger labels aren't asking. All we want you to do is press the vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I guess, you should have had a better answer than that. Like, well, we, oh, we I didn't say that out loud. corporate system. Yeah, no, no. We didn't say anything like yeah. that out loud. I'm, I'm just being honest with you right now. <laughs> so why So I mean, why even wait for a label? I mean, you know, you've been, you've been doing mini comics. You're used to self-publishing. Because... For some reason, I was the only one in the band who felt it was important to put out a record because that's the thing. It's like I come from this idea of like, okay, I could draw in my room for yeah. years and years and years, but if I don't publish it or put it on the internet, it doesn't exist. You know, and for them, because you play shows, they're like, well, that's how we exist. We play shows. And I'm like, no, 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 we need to give people a recording to bring home to have in their house so they can spend time with it and it becomes it's, a personal thing. It's still thing. different, though. It's still different. You know, at least you're out You're out there. You're not just drawing for yourself, you know. At least, at least you're going out in front of crowds, right? Yeah. I did a live drawing thing once. It was really <laughs> awkward. <laughs> so, no, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, it's... I don't know. There's a... The, our band's a funny band. I'll... I'll Two of the guys didn't have cell phones until like a year ago. I mean, they're just really living in their own worlds. Like they didn't we're like you could record sound for posterity. <laughs> they're just they're funny guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're my best friends, but they're. I think they're difficult. They think I'm difficult. So that's the way it goes in a band. It's like a family, you know. Did, did, did the um did did that initial embarrassment of you know of being in, in the band with the old guy and playing on the radio did that did that you put you put you off for live performing for a while? No, because I knew that was kind of a weird experience, yep. but I really, really, really was nervous when we started playing with this band again, or when I started playing with this band again, because um, the Tonic was like our first show, and um, I just remember being so nervous that I couldn't, I almost couldn't go through with it, and then my voice started doing this weird thing where it developed a tremolo, because I was shaking as I played, and the weirdest thing was that... I got kind of known for this like tremolo in my voice yeah. and people thought it was on purpose and they're like, oh my God, you're like a country singer and this and that. I'm like, no, that's like... Well, that was like the Joanna mis- Newsom era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But uh, yeah, I remember people coming like, your voice is amazing. I'm like, it's, that's not my voice. That's me being nervous, you know? But since then, because we played so much, now I'm just like, whatever, let's get up there and do it. Well, I'll be over soon enough and you don't we'll go home. Uh, I enjoy it sometimes. Uh, I don't like, you know, it's a whole hassle. You gotta like load your stuff in the venue and do a sound check and wait around for like five hours. And then you play and sometimes, you know, the sound guy has no idea what to do with you and you can't hear yourself. And it's definitely not, it's never been smooth for our band because we're really loud and aggressive and there's like five people and everyone's playing really intricate angular sounds on top of each other. So when we're together and it's working well, like I think it's great. And then when it's not, it's kind of like just doesn't work at all. We played with, um, do you know that band Mission of Burma? Yes. 
Of course, yeah. Well, we played with Roger Miller from yeah. that band. His his high school band just reformed. Huh. It was him and his two brothers, and they're this band called Sproton Lair. And we played with them at Mercury Lounge. And, you know, I was kind of nervous to meet him, you know. So we played, and he actually came out from the green room and came up to us, and he was like, you guys are, like, an authentic band. <laughs> and we were like, thank you. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, so, so, so if, like... If, if you don't really enjoy the, the experience of playing live, and there was, for a long time, there was no record in the foreseeable future, yes. you know, a question I'm going to ask you, why, why, why keep doing it? Uh, because they're my best friends. Okay. I actually quit the band for like a year, and I went on a tour with another band just to kind of get out there and see what that was like, too. Um, yeah, there's part of me that doesn't really want to do it anymore. Um, yeah. But then there's part of me that, like, Sometimes I show up to practice and I plug my guitar in and I hit one chord really loud and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then there's that nostalgia, right? There's the, the you don't know what you got till it's gone. You're going to miss that when you stop doing it. Oh, totally. I'm full of shit. Like, yeah. as soon as I stop playing with this band, I'm going to be like, let's get band, let's yeah. get it back together, guys, you know? But right now, just like with the bartending, which is exhausting, and then, yeah. you know, comic books is my main thing. And then the band is just like, sometimes I get a little over, I feel a little pulled apart, you know? And I need the bartending to make the money. I don't need the band to make the money. You know, you're, you're probably losing money somehow from the band. Oh yeah, I assume, right? I have been for a yeah. long time. Yeah. So 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 how does the um, how does the guitar become a main character? Well, it wasn't planned out. Um, I was really going completely crazy at the time I started the series. Yeah. I I had kind of stopped interacting with people for a little while. And just for for what reason? I don't know. I get really uh, <laughs> this is gonna sound I don't know. So I consider myself to be a very empathetic person. So sometimes when I'm with other people, it's like very difficult for me because mm-hmm. I either feel like I have to be just listening all the time yeah. or you know trying to make them feel good. And it's totally exhausting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've had a lot of friends where they're kind of the main talker in the friendship. And um, so it's just easier for me emotionally to kind of retreat and be in my own space. And I think, you know, comics are a great way to do that. Yeah. You know? So, um, so I was kind of going crazy. And I was kind of depressed. And then... I, I went to the art store and I found the uh, the Blue Line comic book boards that are and and I found like my Ames lettering guide and I was like I want to do like a really simple like comic that's like kind of seventies and like or sixties and kind of weird. Um, so I just started drawing it and I had this idea where I'd been drawing this character of the guitar with little arms and legs just for fun. So I just like let's give him personality. To wait for the skater yeah. to pass. Um, so I just drew the first two panels, and immediately the characters were fully formed in my mind. And I just kept going with it. What, what were the comics like before that? Uh, the comics before that were. I was having a lot of problems with my composition when I was drawing, and just getting stuff to fit within the frame with the dialogue and the, you know. So I started. Um, making comics out of construction paper so I did would do a background you know and then I would like 
make the character, and then I'd like move the character around until I found the sweet spot with the character, and then like a South Park thing almost in a way, right? Yeah, you could you could pretty much say it was kind of like that. Although I, people used to say that a lot. They'd say like, "Oh, it looks like South Park," and I'd yeah. get really annoyed by it. I'm like, "No, like uh, it's really different." Yeah. <laughs> And it looked really different. Um, it was about a bunch of swearing elementary school students. Right. So. But, yeah. <laughs> but also because they, the way that that's shot, I suppose, is yeah. just like the characters are kind of like just... Uh, one-dimensional or two-dimensional. Yeah, they're yeah. just flat. Yeah. And pretty much they don't have like... They don't turn to the side yeah, ever, yeah. you know. So mine had a lot more nuance. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would really draw the character out and uh, put it together. So you got to... I mean, you... It's different in that you actually have to redo it every single time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so that kind of taught me about composition because before I could hardly get through like two panels without just giving up because I was just erasing so much. And like after you've drawn a character like four times, yeah. like, uh, and I was young too, so I didn't have the same, you know, stick to it, stick to it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah right. Um, so that really helped a lot and then after that when I started drawing again with the pen and ink like it, it really like it was a lot easier hmm. yeah so you so you knew you wanted to do comics all along but they it sounded sound like it sounds like it was like a really big pain in the ass for you for a very long time uh I guess I mean because I take the way they look really seriously yeah. <laughs> I mean I could I can talk about other people who are doing real well who don't take the way their comics look very seriously. Yeah. It's just not the... And that's fine if it's not the point for them to have that craftsmanship. Um, but I was really interested in that. I just felt like it's really important for me to be rewarding my reader when they look at this and to open it and think, oh, this is an interesting style. This is, like, well-crafted and yeah, well-drawn. I mean, it's, it's, you know? a very, it's, a, it's definitely a very very distinct style so that was that was important for you immediately was to just have something that didn't look like other things that people would look at it and know that it was your your work i didn't think about it like that because what came out was very just me anyways i wasn't going like i can't make it look like this because i can't draw like my heroes where you know charles burns and dan clouds like i can't draw like them so why even try it's like being in a band and being like i like sonic youth so i'm gonna try to sound like sonic youth you're just gonna always gonna be like a shitty version of sonic youth so it's just like I'm just going to do what I can to the best of my ability, yeah. you know. That's the point. I mean, you know, is it, when when does it sort of click as a distinct style, though? Especially when you're moving from something like construction paper that's so different. Well, I don't think it did until like like the first issue. If you look at the first book, which is issues one through four, yeah. the first issue is all line work. And there's no detail. Mm. And then slowly, they, the second, third, yeah. they start creeping in with a detail. And then by the fourth one, it's more detailed. And then this new book, um, you open the first page, and it's, like, incredibly detailed. However, now it's, like, I'm trying to, like, take some of that away and rely on some other aspects of... The shading and the... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why, why take some of that away? Because I don't think it's always necessary. I think I was trying to get it to a point where it was going to be as dense as possible. And now it no longer really... It doesn't... I don't need to do that. Like, you can take away some of that and still provide an interesting graphic. 
you know. You sound, you sound like somebody, though, who, like, no matter how much detail you're putting into a page, you're still going to spend an incredible amount of time on each panel. Yeah, I mean, that's part of my... My... I don't know. I feel guilty if I don't spend a lot of yeah. time on a page. Like, I can't... I've done some comics where they're much more minimal-looking, and, like... I recently did a... Do you know, like, a oily comics? Oh, yeah, uh, uh, Chuck Forsberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did a comic for Oily. Yeah. And, it, you know, they're tiny, tiny comics. And I'm like, how? I'm doing two pages in a day. This seems crazy to me, you know? Because yeah. usually a page takes, like, four days or yeah. something. Um, and I didn't feel lazy because I knew I was doing it for that format. But it was like, I could not be... You feel, feel guilty? Yeah, I would feel yeah. guilty. Yeah. It, that's re- It's funny because that's, I mean, that's something that I think about a lot, especially when it comes to comics or... The amount of time it takes to draw a book and the amount of time it takes somebody to read a book. Right. You know, unless they're making the effort to, you know, really sort of soak in every single page. I mean, you can you can read a comic very quickly. Exactly. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, like, I think about Ghost World, and he drew that really cinematically. In some pages, there's only, you know, three bubbles of yeah. dialogue. But it makes for this whole mood, just the pacing, and it, maybe you're not looking at every drawing that he's doing, but you're still taking it in, everything he's doing when you read it, and it's it's a rewarding experience. And that's something you're going back to a lot. I mean, that book, that book specifically, or any any of Dan Klaus's stuff. Like you, you'll read it and reread it and find new stuff. Oh yeah, he's like he was one of the first guys I found that I was yeah. just like. I mean, he's everyone's favorite, really, isn't he? I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. What he does. <laughs> Are, are you um, are, are you are you working on anything longer? Or are you still doing short stories for the for the time being? Um, right now, I'm working on the third book, so that's still yeah. You know, shorter stories like the longest one would be probably like forty pages. And then I do have some ideas for stuff later on, but it'll take a few years to get there. I'm gonna go totally off topic and okay. ask um, another Twitter related question. Sure, sure. Keep my to my my two Twitter. Question quota. So, says you're a rabbit enthusiast. Yes, yes, we've yes. <laughs> I've had three rabbits. You've had three rabbits. Yeah, yeah. And you as well, right? I do. I have, I have two rabbits right now. Yeah. You know how many? I feel like this is a special bonding section of this. Well, it's uh, funny podcast. that you mentioned bonding because I'm going through that process right now, and do it's you have a nightmare. A new one? Yeah. Really? What yeah. kind? Oh, I don't know. They're they're shelter rabbits. It's. Really? But they don't say when you buy them? You can't tell? Like, they're not, like, lops or, like, Well, it's definitely not, it's not a lop. It's not a dwarf. It's a pretty... He's a standard... I mean, I, they, you know, they, they, they're really... Um, it's like the one with the big ears that stand up? Or? He's, he's, he's a pretty... He, he looks like a rabbit. Like, okay. he looks like... You know, <laughs> I no, 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 so. no, 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 no. But I say that because, it's like, the woman that we adopted him from, um, she runs this this little shelter, like, upstate, and she was saying that her, her father saw it, and he called it a natural natural rabbit because it, it looks like it should be running around outside Aww. it's like a gray yeah it's like he's a beatrix beatrix potter rabbit basically and do you have other rabbits you're trying to bond him with i'm trying to bond him with my um nine-year-old okay that's hard right yeah i don't know if it's the age thing <laughs> so much as the because because apparently like apparently it's Is that a easier thing? to, to okay. bond older rabbits okay um, I, I think one because he's basically a puppy and she's an older rabbit, um, and then two like the personalities are so different. Yeah. So it's just you know it's like 
It's like bringing a puppy in and trying to make your puppy best friends with your old dog. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't been through that. Um, I've only had three. I had one that was just on its own for a long time, which I realize is not cool for their rabbit. That's what you I, know? you know, that's what I'm trying to take care of, but <laughs> I don't think it's helping her at all. Yeah. Um, and then I had two that we bought together as babies, these two Netherland dwarves. Yeah. So they were actually brother and sister, so they were already bonded. And they lived forever. They lived, um, one of them lived 10 years. Yeah. And the other lived 12 years. People are shocked when I tell them how old Aren't their rabbit they? is. Yeah. Like, they think it's not a big commitment. That's a huge problem yeah. with people getting rabbits is they don't understand the commitment. Or they live outside and they yeah. just don't, you know, that, that's when rabbits live like two, three years. It's when you have them, when there's cats running around and it's cold. And, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I don't have a rabbit right now. Um, cause my apartment right now, I can't really have one, but I definitely yeah. want to get some shelter rabbits when I can. Cause I, I feel like it should be an easy ask, right? If, if, if they'll take cats, you should be able to have a rabbit there. It's just a no animal apartment. Yeah. Yeah. For varying reasons. But, um, yeah, rabbits are great. They're hard animals, but they're rewarding if you have the right temperament towards yeah, them. They're hard. They're hard and easy in very in in different ways. But yeah, they're not. They're nice and quiet. Can't teach them to fetch. No, but you can teach them all different kinds of things. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really hoping that I'm going to make a, a breakthrough with this one because he's basically a dog. Yeah. Like he's basically a puppy. Aww. He's like a little. He's like a, he's like just super energetic. I think that think I can get him to fetch. Too. Think awesome. I can get him to bring the newspaper in the morning. Yeah, good luck with the newspaper. Yeah. But I have. Um, we meet, we should save this for another conversation, but yeah. I've taught a rabbit to fetch before. Is it true? Yeah. I bought a little like a ball that had a, yeah. a little bell in it. Or, yeah. 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 And I would throw it and it would go run and get it. There you go. And bring it back. Yeah. 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 Or kind of just throw it in a different direction. Well, you know, it's not quite, just get it and throw it. Sure. It's good. It's, it's like, the, it's, uh, it's like the new Planet of the Apes movie. I just feel like, you know, if I push it far enough, we could, we, we could, achieve that next level in evolution yeah. and granted he's neutered so that's not going to be much much use for future generations but I think we can make that breakthrough <laughs> okay awesome well I hope so <laughs> well you know yeah there you go that was uh, that was Leslie Stein uh, she's got a new book out now on Fantagraphics it's the second I have the Majestic Creature collection uh, very good you should pick that up and read it uh, her band has a new single out on iTunes you can download that she works at a bar. You can go hang out with her there. Leslie Stein is she's just the the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, thank you so much, to Leslie, for taking the time out to uh, to meet me at uh, Union Square. It's the second it's the second interview for the show that we recorded at Union Square. Uh, I'm liking it. We could uh, hopefully do some more park shows in the future. Maybe uh, talk to the very entertaining homeless people who live there. Uh, thank you so much to Brian as ever for editing this down. Uh, thanks to Mark and everybody at Point Point for. for this show uh, thank you for listening uh, lots of lots of good stuff coming up in the near future we've got to interview with another cartoonist Peter Bag. did that one while I was out in Seattle uh, Zinster Alperian that one uh, we actually did that one in Germany so uh, it will officially be an international show and that airs uh, uh, who else uh, RJD2 Talked to him out in Philadelphia. I uh, just spoke with uh, Travis Morrison at the Dismemberment Plan. Uh, lots of awesome stuff coming up. If you like what you heard, uh, please rate us on iTunes. You can email us. It's riylcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Tumblr. That one's also riylcast, but that one is .tumblr.com. Uh, all sorts of ways to 
listen to and enjoy and occasionally rate the show. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, we will be back next week with another episode of R.I.Y.L. 